1: Hello, friends and neighbors. Good to see you and great to have you back with us on the Bill Press Pod. (laughs) Well, we've never seen anything like this before. doesn't seem like we say that more and more often these days, but it's certainly true today. In our lifetime, at least, we've never seen a former president on the stand in a courtroom, Donald Trump, testifying in his own defense. And we've certainly never seen anybody from the witness stand attack the judge the prosecutors the attorney general and the justice system and get away with it and remember this is just round one of a whole string of cases where trump may be on the witness stand in the next few months defending himself against 91 91 criminal counts so If you're having a hard time keeping track of all of Donald Trump's legal challenges and wondering how he's going to navigate his way through them while running for president, believe me, you're not the only one. Which is why we're so lucky today to catch up with Barbara McQuaid, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, who's now a top legal analyst, as you know, for NBC and MSNBC News, and co-host of the great podcast Sisters in Law. So we'll let Barbara sort it all out for us. Barbara McQuaid, so good to uh, talk to you, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod.
0: Thanks, Bill. Glad to be with you.
1: Hey, thanks for joining us. So, boy, we've never seen uh, (laughs) anything quite like this. Um, Donald Trump on the witness stand. Um, Is this the first time ever, do you know, that we've seen a former president on the witness stand?
0: Um, I think it might be, right? Um, yeah. I think that some, like George W. Bush or, or George Bush Sr. might have been interviewed about Iran contra of when he was president, but not publicly on the witness stand like yeah. this. no, uh, for, no. Absolutely. So,
1: <laughs> so I guess we saw what we could expect uh, yesterday, Monday, when uh, it was like people were calling it the Donald Trump show. You know, he attacked the judge from the witness stand. He attacked the attorney general. He attacked the prosecutors. He attacked the justice system. Um, Maybe a winning political strategy. Do you think it's a winning legal strategy, Barbara?
0: No, not at all. And um, I, I think, you know, this case really is what it is based on the documents. I think there was a possibility that Trump or his children or someone could come in and explain away how it is that these evaluations were so absurdly inflated but I think they know they can't do that, and so they really have a few options here. They could um, admit fraud. I don't think that's going to happen. They <laughs> could the Fifth Amendment rights against self incrimination. That's probably a bad look for someone running for president. Or they could double down on the claims and say, "You bet it was valued that much." I mean, the brand name alone, the Trump name, mm. it's all worth it. But just to be clear to your listeners, you know, these aren't just you know uh, rounding errors. Um, you know, there's an allegation that some of these properties were inflated um, by uh, a factor of 23. So, you know, golf courses, uh, 23 times their value. So, you know, to put it in terms that maybe I could understand, it's as if you have a home that's worth $100,000. Maybe Mm -hmm. it's worth 90, maybe it's worth 110, you know, depends on the market, depends on the time, all that. But it's most certainly not worth $2.3 million, right? I know that. And that's the kind of, Uh, inflation that we saw here. So I think Trump spent his time arguing with the judge, you know, blaming the victims. No no banks were hurt in the making of this movie. You know, that's not the test. (laughs) It's all about (laughs) it. So I don't think he did anything to help himself legally, but I think what he's worried about is just protecting his reputation in the court of public opinion. And so he just did his usual Trump bluster thing. And I think that was probably the strategy.
1: Uh, Do you think it was a mistake to put him on the stand?
0: Well, you know, it's the attorney general calling him. So mm-hmm. his only choice really is to invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self incrimination, which he could certainly have done. And in fact, he did so during his deposition something like 500 times. Mm. Um, but I, I think it is, for someone who's running for president, it's, it's probably a very bad look. And the additional factor in this case is because it's a civil case. You know, you can invoke your Fifth Amendment right so that your statements can't be used against you in a later criminal prosecution. But in this case, because it's a civil case, the judge here can draw an adverse inference against you, hmm. and so it, it wouldn't do him a whole lot of good to invoke his Fifth Amendment right. So I think they decided to the strategy would be go on the stand and just double down that you believe these claims are true.
1: Yeah. Do you th- do you think? Would anybody else be able to get away with sitting up there and attacking the judge personally? Or attack- no?
0: And in fact, I'm I'm surprised the judge didn't have a little bit of a heavier hand here. I think he could have. What um, mm-hmm. um, you know, at one point when the judge, Judge Engoron, asked uh, one of Trump's lawyers, Alina Haba. To get your client under control and in line, he said, "No, I'm not going to violate his First Amendment rights." Like, oh my gosh, we're in a courtroom. You don't, yeah. you're not free to say anything and everything you want. You're supposed to answer the questions and follow the decorum of the court. So, um, I'm really surprised the judge is allowing him to get away with as much as he is.
1: Yeah. So, um, again, help us and all of our listeners understand. Hasn't haven't the facts in this case? Already been decided. Didn't the judge already rule that they committed fraud? It's just a kind of a matter of like, what are they up to, right? Yeah. uh, Really.
0: So, to a great extent, the answer is yes. There was summary judgment granted pre trial against the corporation, the Trump organization. Um, But in addition, we have Trump and his sons who are co defendants. And there are a couple of questions left. There were um, seven counts altogether, and the judge resolved only one. So there's six more Mm. relating to false documents and some other things. And then there's the number. Um, The attorney general has asked that the court disgorge the ill-gotten gain here from these false valuations. She says the total amount of false valuations was $2.2 billion, and she is asking for only $250 million of those Mm. profits to be (laughs) disgorged, a modest sum. Uh, And so part of it will be deciding how much and, uh, and on these other claims.
1: Yeah, so that's what's at stake, right? The consequence is, at at worst, a great big fat fine. Is that is that correct? Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's a couple of things. Yes, one is a big fat fine, which would be this two hundred and fifty million dollar disgorgement. But it also could be the cancellation of the certificates of doing business for a number of Trump's businesses. You know, he's got this uh, umbrella Trump organization, and then a number of businesses operating in New York and to lose the right to conduct business in New York would probably mean the end of, um, a lot of those, um, mm. a lot of those properties there. Some, you know, he's got, uh, uh, biz- uh, uh, buildings at uh, wall street and Trump tower, um, and, uh, seven springs. And so to lose the ability to own those would require him to sell them, you know, put them into a receivership and liquidate them and sell them to the highest bidder. Uh,
1: and I guess the other consequence, right, would be the emperor wears no clothes, right? This this reputation of being maybe not such a great politician, but a brilliant businessman sort of changes that, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, to some extent, the public has seen that much of his empire is built on a house of cards. Uh, we had, you know, Trump University that went under <laughs> his casinos with bankruptcy uh, some of his other businesses that have gone, you know, his foundation had to be liquidated because of allegations of fraud, and so you know, I'm sure there are some people who always believe that he is the greatest p- politician and the greatest businessman ever. But I, I think that this would demonstrate that a lot of this has just been, you know, built on a series of lies, of exaggeration, and of of building up a brand, uh using the Trump name, you know, The Apprentice, creating this image of a successful businessman. Uh, that was largely smoke and mirrors.
1: Yeah. So we have to, we all know that this is just one little piece of the big puzzle, Barbara. I mean, uh, it, it, and it's it's so hard for most of us to even keep, and keep track of, right? I mean, in New York State alone, there's this fraud case. There's the Hush Money case. There's the E. Jean Carroll case, which hasn't totally been resolved. In Georgia, there's the election fraud case. In Miami, there's a documents case in the district of Columbia, um, the big insurrection case, which of these do you think, um, has the greatest threat for Donald Trump to, to see a guilty verdict before the election of 2024?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think the one that's the greatest threat and the one that's actually most likely to go is the, um, mar-a-lago documents case i I think that uh you know there's the federal election interference case and there's also the georgia rico case that one looks like it's not going to happen before the election i think in that case the um prosecutor decided to go big but not to go fast Mm -hmm. whereas jack smith on the federal side decided to go narrow to go fast um that one, you know, it's an important case and it's a significant case and it seems to me a strong case. It's just covering some uh, new territory that there's not a lot of precedent for. And so it's a little bit of a riskier strategy. But I think the documents case is very clear on the law and it's a case the government prosecutes on a regular basis when government employees bring home documents they're not supposed to bring home from work. Um, and it has the added... Evidence of obstruction of justice with the two co-defendants, code uh, you know, in the videotape of them moving the boxes, and so I think that one is the evidence is really quite strong, and the legal theory is also tested, and so I think as long as that one goes before the election, it strikes me as one where um, a conviction has the highest level of probability.
1: Well, I'm surprised to hear you say that because of Judge Cannon, mm-hmm. who was of course appointed by uh, Donald Trump, and and. I mean, there's, you see indications, right? Who knows whether we should read too much into them that that she may be persuaded by some of those arguments that this is moving too fast, or there's a conflict between this trial and other trials, and yeah. you know they got to make some adjustments there. But
0: yeah, well, she hasn't yet. Currently, the trial's scheduled for May. She has recently indicated some. Um, willingness to consider, I think the phrase she used, adjustments to the schedule. Now, she hasn't gone so far as to say we need to go all the way from May to past November. But um, the arguments the defense is making is we haven't received all the discovery we're entitled to yet. Now, the reasons for that are one of the lawyers hasn't been able to get a security clearance yet. I don't know why. And they haven't been able to build out the kind of secure facility they need to because the classified documents are so sensitive That they require more than just an ordinary sensitive compartmented um, information facility but you know fair is fair and if he needs more time now may still a long ways off and so i think that as long as they're able to get him these documents in the reasonable near future they may need to adjust you know they've got a, a number of intermediate scheduling dates as well motion cut off and discovery cut off plea cut off and those kinds of things even if they adjust those by 30 days each, that doesn't mean we get past the election. So you have the trial in June instead of May or something like Mm -hmm. that.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And by the, this is a criminal case, correct? Yes. Uh, So does that mean that the defendant must be in the courtroom?
0: Yes. Um, Typically they need to be there. If they're not there, um, you know, oftentimes you get an order to bring them there, but sometimes people are fugitives from justice, but yeah, it's not like the E. Jean Carroll case where he didn't show up at all, or like this uh, Attorney General civil f- fraud case in New York, where he kind of pops in and comes and goes as he pleases. In a criminal case, a defendant is expected to be there at defense table every day. And so that will be a challenge as Donald Trump is also campaigning. But, you know, he gets a lot of attention from the courthouse steps.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, <laughs> but it, it certainly could interfere with his um, campaign activities, right, in terms of Yes, he, he can't be at a rally in uh, Phoenix, right? If he's in a courtroom in Miami.
0: Yeah, no no doubt that's right. But you know, just just like every other defendant who can't go to work or tend to their family or do other things while they're on trial for a, in a criminal case.
1: Uh and what if he were to be found guilty? Um what could what could he face? Uh, in any of these cases, but we're talking about mainly now about the Florida case. Uh, again, would it be a fine? Could it possibly be prison time?
0: Yeah, I, I think that the um, both of the federal cases uh, he faces up to 20 years in prison. Um, again, we we're talking about the just to focus on the Florida documents case uh, for the obstruction count. There, up to 20 years in prison. Now, most defendants do not get the statutory maximum sentencing guidelines are used when someone's a first time offender and other things it tends to be lower but i think he's looking at a number of years in prison for conviction in that case now the really interesting thing is he could be convicted at trial he could be elected president before or after he is sentenced and then he could become the president which means most likely would be released during the time he's serving as president, even after he's been convicted of this serious crime.
1: I, I, I'm sorry, I have to follow you there. So if he's in prison and elected, then he could be released from prison in order to serve as president?
0: Well, it's so weird because there's never been yeah, right. there's any precedent for this whatsoever. But the the Constitution provides that the only Uh, requirements for being president are age 35, natural born U.S. citizen, and reside in the United States for the past 14 years. And so it doesn't say anything about incarceration, felony convictions, any of that. So even if he is convicted, if he is elected, it's, uh, it's unclear what happens. But I go back to that Office of legal policy at the Justice Department opinion mm-hmm. that Robert Mueller encountered that said you can't charge a sitting president with a crime. Right. And the reason for that was it's too distracting because the people have elected this person president. And so all of those distractions have to be taken off his plate. And I would think the same would be true if he were elected president but convicted of a crime, they would have to suspend his sentence while he served as president. Now maybe once he's out he goes back in. Um Similarly, mm. I think if he can delay these trials until the election, and he is elected, I don't think he could have. He would have to uh, sit for trial during his presidency because that would be too distracting for the president of the United States. Wow. So I mean, that's why delay is so important to him. If he can delay these trials, then he can push him off four years.
1: Right? Talk about uncharted territory, right? Yeah, it's I, crazy. No, I'm thinking of James Michael Curley, the great mayor of Boston, who actually. Uh, served as mayor while serving a prison term. So, <laughs> well, there you go. There, you, maybe, maybe that's where we'll end up. Well, uh, it it seems like even getting into so much detail, we still just scratched the surface. Uh, I want to take a quick break here, if we can, Barbara, just a couple a couple of minutes or so, and then we'll come sure. back and pick up with the rest of Donald Trump's legal challenges here on today's Bill Press Pod with Barbara McQuade. Today's podcast with Barbara McQuaid, brought to you by the members of the Laborers International Union of North America, or L I U N A. They're the backbone of America's labor movement, over half a million strong uh, in the construction business, rebuilding America's infrastructure as we speak, thanks to the big Biden infrastructure bill, also active in the energy field as well, building not only old fashioned pipelines, but into the new technology, new green technology of solar panels and wind turbines. So we salute the members of the Labors Union and their new president, Brent Booker. Thank them coast to coast for their great work building a new America. And, of course, thank them for the longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website. You'll be impressed by all the many great projects they've got on going on all across the country, check out their website at liuna.org, L-I-U-N-A org.
0: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the
1: ads.
0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: And we're back on the podcast. Uh, Very, very excited today to welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, uh, Attorney Barbara McQuaid. She has an impressive resume indeed, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan, uh, co-host of the podcast Sisters in Law, Of course, uh, you see Barbara most often on MSNBC and NBC as a great legal analyst. And uh, Barbara, congratulations. A new book coming out in February called Attack from Within, How Disinformation is Sabotaging America. Um, You can pre-order that now, friends, and we'll have a link in the episode notes of today's podcast where you can uh, pre-order Barbara's latest book. Uh, So, Barbara, let's go back uh, and talk about Georgia Um, A surprising development, at least for most of us, when we saw Sidney Powell, Ken Chesbrose, and Jenna Ellis all plead guilty and uh, apparently agree to even possibly testify against Donald Trump. Uh, Barbara, uh, what's this mean for Donald Trump? Serious trouble, right?
0: Yeah, I I think so. Um, You know, one of the strategies a prosecutor does (laughs) Um, in building out a big case like this, and you know, this is in contrast to the case Jack Smith brought against Donald Trump for election interference, charging only Trump as the only defendant. What Bonnie Willis did was charge 19 defendants. And what a prosecutor typically tries to do is what they call flip, lower level defendants, working yeah. their way up the chain. You know, you get the lower level people to testify against the mid-level people and then the mid-level people to testify against the upper level people until you work your way up to the more egregious offenders in the inner circle. And, you know, by flipping some of these defendants, that seems to be the case. We've got uh, Jenna Ellis, who is right there by the side of Rudy Giuliani, traveling to a number of different states, trying to yep. pressure legislatures to change the outcome of the election in those states. By making representations that now she said in open court were false in her guilty plea, you got um, Sidney Powell, who was um, part of this effort. You know she called it "release the kraken," filing lawsuits all over the country to challenge, and said those were all based on lies. And then Kenneth Chesbrough, who was the architect of the fake electors scheme, can be really important. And you know he admitted that that was all false and fabricated. And so um, I think he could perhaps be useful against John Eastman, who's the next level up. I think Powell and Ellis can be useful against Giuliani, who's the next level up. Um, and those two in turn can be useful against Trump. So we'll see if they're able to continue to, uh, flip these, uh, these defendants against, uh, other
1: defendants. Yeah. By the way, I'm glad you mentioned him. Um, how would you like to be Rudy Giuliani's attorney today?
0: <laughs> oh man, what a, what a hard job, you know? Um, there was a time when he was uh, a respected prosecutor, and um, that time has passed.
1: Yeah, and on so many fronts, right? He's in legal trouble, almost as many as Donald Trump, without all the resources. Uh, yeah,
0: call- he seems to, uh, you know, constantly being um, concerned about his inability to pay his legal bills.
1: Um, uh, when I ask about which of the one- which case you thought would be the most likely. Uh, to reach a conclusion or some guilty plea before the election. I'm surprised you did not mention the D.C. insurrection case because that seems to be, in terms of um, offense, maybe the most serious. Uh, where are we today? How do you see that today with this judge temporarily lifted the, the gag order? But she has called, as I believe, the trial date for March 24, correct?
0: Yeah, that one is uh, is scheduled for uh, trial um, and seems to be on target. And Judge Chutkin seems a little less receptive to Donald Trump's requests for an adjournment. I, I do think this is a strong case. The only reason I think the mar lago case might be a little stronger is that is just a tested legal theory that gets used in cases all the time. Mm-hmm. No one's ever really tried to overturn an election before. And so although the theory seems strong to me, conspiracy to defraud the United States, uh, you know, based on this uh, interference with the uh, lawful transition of presidential power, it's just, you know, it's untested. And so uh, for that reason, I think it could bring with it more appeals that are answering unresolved legal questions. Uh, But at the moment, as you say, the issue before the court is this gag order. Uh, The judge had entered a gag order prohibiting Donald Trump from targeting witnesses and parties and the uh, court staff and jurors uh, outside of um, the court outside of official court proceedings, he said he was going to appeal. Uh, mm-hmm. She uh, stayed the order temporarily while um, that was going on. And then um, once the parties briefed that, she said, no, I'm going to go back to um, the gag order, because while it was lifted, Donald Trump went after Mark Meadows and William Barr. So just you know, demonstrating that this order is needed. But now it's on appeal. It will be decided on an expedited basis. I think the briefing will be on November 20th. So that's that's fairly quick for the Court of Appeals. But in the meantime, uh, the order is stayed, meaning he can say whatever he wants to say. So, you know, that's a dangerous time in these days, I think, because the worry is that he may taint the jury pool or say things disparaging about individuals who are witnesses or parties that could cause uh, a risk to their public safety.
1: Uh, and there are reports that in this case, Mark Meadows has been talking to Jack Smith and may—I um, don't think he's—he's he's not pleaded pled guilty yet, but but may be ready to cooperate with the special counsel. Um, is that what you hear? Is that can we?
0: Yeah, you know, it's a little muddled because there was some reporting that he had testified under a grant of immunity, um, and then his lawyer said something like, "That's not wholly accurate," hmm. which. You know, cause you think, well, which you know, part of it's accurate. Which part is accurate, and which part is not accurate? So, it's a little, um, it's a little unclear. But uh, there are a few different things it could be. So, there, you know, one is uh, I have simply granted immunity, which re- is seeking an order from the court to compel the witness to testify, and then the court orders, all right, but in exchange for the testimony, you may not use their statements against you, and it's all a court order. And the person comes in and they answer the questions, but they're not exactly volunteering information, you know, sort of yes and no, but behind gritted teeth versus a cooperation agreement where we say, we're not going to charge you in exchange. We're giving you immunity. We want you to come testify, but um, you're going to get a, either a plea deal. You're going to get a break. You're going to get uh, no charges or charges to something lesser or a recommendation of leniency and sentencing. And then the person comes in and they're volunteering because the more they cooperate, the better they're, uh, outcome usually is. And mm-hmm. they're volunteering stuff. They're telling you all kinds of things that could be useful. So I'm not sure where we are on that spectrum. But either way, it seems to me likely that they got some important information from Mark Meadows just because of the position he was in as its chief of staff. He likely had access to everything that was going on during those critical times between the election and January 6th.
1: And I guess for Mark Meadows, right, the choice is uh, stick stick with Trump and risk going to prison yourself or cooperating with the special counsel.
0: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, sometimes people say, I'll I'll take my chances, I'll roll the dice. Um, But when you get that order from the court that says you must testify, then your only option really is to go to jail. Uh, And that happens sometimes. Um, In the Bill Clinton case, he had a friend, I'm forgetting her name now, Susan McDougal, maybe? Oh, yes, um, yes. The whole Whitewater (laughs) scheme, remember that? She decided to go to jail rather than testify against him. So um, that would be an option Mark Meadows would have. But, um, you know, I think as uh, someone who's been a government official, simply testifying uh, under a compulsion order seems like, you know, the right thing to do. Um, And then his options are tell the truth or commit perjury. And so telling the truth, again, seems like the right thing to do. So um, it it seems that uh, Jack Smith likely got some important information out of him.
1: So not being an attorney myself, even though I've played an attorney on television (laughs) and gotten away with it for a long time, um, if Donald Trump were found guilty in any of these cases uh, that we've been talking about, uh, could he appeal a guilty verdict? And if so, how high?
0: Yeah. So say we're talking about uh, really any of these cases. Take take Florida, for
1: example. Yeah, whatever. Take Florida, for example, any one yeah. of them, right?
0: Yeah, I, I would imagine that um, any of these convictions would be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. I think that there are some novel issues here. One is presidential immunity. Is a president immune from criminal prosecution? I don't think it's a strong argument, but it's one he has asserted, mm-hmm. and I think he would assert he's asserting it now. Um, he's got a First Amendment argument. Again, I don't think it's particularly strong, but I could see that one being something that he might contest. Um, whether it really is fraud when you seek to challenge uh, an election by submitting alternate slates of electors, is that, is that an intent to defraud or is that simply a good faith way of challenging an election? Um, you know, seems like fraud to me, but again, it's so untested. I could see a court deciding that, uh, with regard to Florida, I think, um, you know, one of his arguments is that as the former president, he gets to have and retain anything he wants. Um, Again, it's untested, and so I think yeah. it's something the Supreme Court's going to have to weigh in on.
1: Right. But the the central argument that he uses over and over again, that all of these are all part of some organized political plot, is really not a strong argument at all. Is, I mean, No. Yeah.
0: And, and in fact, that's not a really a legal argument. You know, there is an argument that can be made. Uh, under rare circumstances for selective prosecution. That is, you're only picking on me because you don't like me because of my politics Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. But what you have to show is that um, you have treated other people who are similarly situated differently. And I think he's just going to fail to find anyone else who's similarly situated, you know, he loves to say things like it's the first time in the history of the United States that a former president has been charged with a crime. Well, yeah, it's the first time a former president <laughs> has, has done these things. So, um, I, I, I think, uh, you know, you don't get, uh, a get out of a jail free card just because your case is novel or you're a former president. You know, there's the old line that Nixon said, if the president does it, it's, it's, it's yeah. not illegal. Um, you know, that's not the case. Um, the president has not the privileges, but still, they still must comply with the law.
1: So finally, before we let you go, as if all of this were not uh, bad enough for Donald Trump, there, is, there are also a couple of cases already in Colorado and Minnesota, maybe one coming up in Michigan, which challenge his legitimacy as a candidate for president based on the 14th Amendment. What's your take on those cases? Do you think they're strong? They have any likelihood uh, of succeeding?
0: really interesting question. And again, this is so wide open. So, you know, the section three of the 14th amendment says essentially that if you were an officer of the United States, you took an oath to support and defend the constitution. And then you violated that by engaging in insurrection against the United States, you are not eligible to hold federal office. What does it mean to engage in insurrection? You know, do you have to physically, you know, as his lawyer said, he wasn't there at the door with the pitchfork. Is that what's required? Um, and it says insurrection against the constitution. What does that mean? Could it be, uh, you know, some sort of uh, fraud, uh, or must it be a physical attack? It also talks about federal officers. Is a president a federal officer? So I think there are a lot of legal questions that need to be mm-hmm. answered. But, you know, my my gut is I don't like this because it seems anti democratic to take. I'd rather see. You know, Donald Trump uh, defeated at the ballot box and removed from the ballot by some uh, legal technicality, such as the Constitution. But it is the Constitution, and it doesn't really offer room for discretion. It says they're not eligible. They can't be on the ballot. And so um, I think this is another one that will have to go to the Supreme Court. I I think whichever way these trials come out, the losing party will take it up to the Supreme Court and decide whether this is sort of self-executing or it requires some act of Congress to... um, explain the process for how it works or or a court has to figure that out so some really unanswered questions about it
1: boy and you and i uh, we could talk all evening about what that might mean with this current supreme court if that case <laughs> went,
0: yeah. went
1: went to these nine oh my god that's what hey you know that's what keeps you and me in business barbara so let's <laughs> <Lots laughs> right. talk
0: about that's for sure
1: exactly boy well, see it a lot clearer today. Uh, always do every time I hear you and see you on MSNBC. Thank you, Barbara McQuaid, for taking time for the Bill Press Pod today. Um, I love your work and love having you uh, on the podcast. And we will be—we'll have lots to talk about for the next year. This is not—none <laughs> of this is going to go away. All right, thanks, Barbara. Thanks, Bill. And that's a wrap for today's podcast with Barbara McQuaid. Boy, there's nobody better in legal analysis. Uh, we're lucky to have her and. Uh, Grateful to have her here on the Bill Press Pod again today. So, uh, I want you to have a great week, but be sure and come back on Friday. Don't miss this weekend's Reporters Roundtable. Friday morning, look, we got Donald Trump on the witness stand. We've got special elections in Virginia, Kentucky, Ohio, and Mississippi. We got MAGA Mike Johnson still out there trying to dump Ukraine and send some support to Israel as long as he can steal a lot of money from the IRS to do so. Lots to talk about this Friday. It's definitely going to be a lively roundtable. So we want to see you there with our three top political reporters. Again, thanks for joining us today. We'll see you Friday. Reporters Roundtable and the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.